always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Search Sky Broadband to get started. With many of us now feeling the bite of the soaring cost of living, a new report has found that a record number of Irish households are experiencing something called energy poverty. That's when a household is spending more than a tenth of their income to power their home. This new study from the Economic and Social Research Institute makes for stark reading. Nearly a third of households in Ireland, that's 29%, are living in energy poverty. People living in rural areas, those on lower incomes and older people are the worst affected. We would have had a request for help for older people, maybe during the colder parts of the winter, you know, going to bed at six o'clock just so they could get under the covers so they didn't have to turn on the heating. That, you know, that's very common. Trisha Kilty is Head of Social Justice and Policy at the Society of St Vincent de Paul. Others would be people on, on prepay meters self-rationing. So, you know, a lone parent who was trying to make the electricity credit stretch as far as possible, you know, plugging everything out, you know, sitting in the dark for parts of the evening. And, uh, you know, that's really, really tough on people. That really has a big impact on your mental health. The government has pledged to tackle the cost of living crisis in October's budget, but opposition parties say they need to act sooner. The Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, the ESRI and the Central Bank have all told the government that they have scope at this point in time to do additional measures to deal with the cost of living crisis and the need to be targeted. I'm Sarah Chapalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, why are so many Irish people experiencing energy poverty and what must be done to help them? Barra Rowntree is an economist with the Economic and Social Research Institute, or ESRI. Barra, we heard in the intro there Trisha Keelty from St. Vincent de Paul talking about the real impact of energy poverty in Ireland today. Can you explain what exactly is meant by energy poverty and just how many Irish households are now affected by this issue? Sure. So energy poverty, it's, you know, there's lots of different ways of measuring it and how hard people are finding energy costs. But one of the typical way and one of the common ways of doing it is households spend more than 10% of their net income. That's income after tax and after uh, welfare transfers, uh, or pensions and all that. So households spend more than 10% of their, their income on energy to heat the, the, the home and then also electricity. So that's the definition of energy poverty we've looked at. And that we, we've come up with an estimate based on on, on recent price increases having lifted that share to almost a third, 29% of households. That's about 550,000 households in the country. That's been increased from in 2015 through the, the teens. It was at around uh, 12%, 13%. So it's really those recent price increases that have lifted that share up significantly. So, Barr, can you tell me how much on average are people paying now for their energy costs? And how much do these amounts compare to, for instance, June of last year? So what we are looking at is how they've changed over the last kind of almost 18 months. So back between January 2021 and April 2022, when, which is really when the prices started rising. Uh, and they started to creep up a bit uh, last year, but then it's really the war in Ukraine, which has lifted up prices. So we're, we estimated that on average, households are spending... Uh, 21 euro more a week on their energy bills. So that's just on uh, energy and electricity. And that goes up to almost 40 euro more a week when you include motor fuels. That's just from the price increases again between January of last year and April this year. 
we also estimate in, in, in the report that should energy prices rise by a further 25%, we estimate that would increase the, the, the average hit to households to more than 30 euro, excluding motor fuels and almost 70 euro a week if they're included. So really big numbers. And that's, again, just the average. Barry, you've referenced already that motor fuels are adding to people's financial woes. How bad are petrol and diesel prices at the moment? Yeah, so petrol and diesel prices are one of the fuel sources that I suppose have seen the biggest fluctuations in price. They kind of fell a bit during the start of pandemic. But again, since between January last year and April uh, this year, we saw petrol rise by more than a third, uh, 37%, uh, and then diesel rise by uh, more than half, by 56%. So that's obviously feeding through to what the price people are seeing at the pumps and, and, and the prices there, which seem to vary significantly almost day to day. But, but you know, that, that really is one of the sources of fuel where there's been a lot of volatility. And again, a lot of that then related to the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. These latest ESRI stats in the report that came out this week that you co-authored, they cover January of last year to April of this year, but it does feel like prices have continued to rise a lot during May and June over the past basically two months. Do you have any idea, Barrett, how much more people might be paying now? Yeah, so we're, we're still waiting for, I suppose, this, the full C, the CSO stats on, on how these energy products have changed over that period in full. But we, you know, there were reports of some of the electricity providers and gas providers talking about increasing their prices by 25% in May. So we, we modelled a scenario not similar to that. So we looked at a further 25% increase in prices. And again, if you include fuel, that then brings the average hit to households up to uh, €70 a week. So it really is then quite substantial. And it's not clear what's going to happen to the future and, how, and whether there might be any further increases or how long these elevated prices might, might last for. Trisha Kilty, you are Head of Social Justice and Policy at the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Were you surprised by the findings of this latest ESRI report on energy poverty? The findings are really stark, but they're not surprising um, to SVP, unfortunately, given the volume of calls we're receiving from people who are struggling to pay their bills, particularly energy bills. Um, so far this year, we've received um, just over 78,000 requests for help. Um, and that's up about 20% compared to previous years. Um, and a lot of those households um, may have been struggling prior to this cost of living crisis. Um, but for some, it's their first time reaching out to SVP for help. They may have been just struggling to get by. Um, or maybe just about getting by prior to this, but now they've got a big bill and they and they just can't pay it. And I suppose this issue has been bubbling up since COVID-19 uh, restrictions. And um, we would have seen this coming through our services, you know, towards the end of 2020 and into 2021. Um, so people were home more, they were using more gas and electricity. They were already getting bill shocks then once the monitorium on disconnections was lifted. So then we came into winter 2021, where people had very, very big bills already. And then they were met with the price increases on top of that. So we had a very challenging winter, very busy winter for our volunteers and a very difficult winter for people struggling in poverty. But rising energy costs are just one part of an overall dramatic increase in the cost of living with inflation now around 8%. Are food prices, housing and other costs becoming, I guess, almost impossible to meet for those who are worst off in Irish society? 
Absolutely. And I suppose that would have always been the case, but now it's even more difficult. So if you take food, for example, this has really come through our services now in, in the last couple of months in particular, uh, people are noticing it. So if you have a very low income, if you're in receipt of social welfare or you're in low paid work, you know exactly how much is coming in and going out in terms of your household budget because you're dealing with such small sums of money. And people would have set a budget of maybe 60 euro for their food shopping. Now they're going and the same basket of goods is costing 70, 75 euro. And those households don't have any more slack in their in their food budgets. So they're taking stuff out of their shopping baskets. And for parents with families, particularly lone parents who represent one of the largest groups, we assist given the very high levels of poverty experienced by lone parents even prior to this cost of living crisis. They adopt a, a whole range of strategies to protect their children from the impacts of this. So that may be skipping meals. They may be putting other bills on, on the long finger. And then, you know, that, that causes such stress and strain for, for families and for parents, you know, and that could have really long term impacts for those families as well. And then in, in relation to housing, you know, this is an issue. We've really seen this in the last five, five to six years, really driving poverty among low income households, particularly households in receipt of the housing assistance payment. They're already on very low incomes and the gap between what you receive and happen, the limits for that and market rents continues to grow. So they're trying to bridge that gap with their very low incomes, paying top ups to their landlords that causes sacrifices in other areas, whether that's food and energy. And that's a real cause for concern for us and um, because households are really putting themselves at risk of homelessness as well. And we've seen that rise in homelessness in recent months as well. And then I suppose the, the other area then we're seeing it is transport, particularly for households in rural areas where having a car is essential so that you can go to work, get to the shops and, and uh, all those things that you need to do. So what's happening is people are rationing fuel. They are picking which journeys to take prioritizing those essential journeys and then you know isolation is increasing because you're not maybe going to go out and visit family and friends because it's going to cost you petrol that you can't afford so that's the real reality of what's happening at the moment and it's it's very worrying for people never suffer the buffer again always stay connected with 99.9% reliable sky broadband whether you're streaming on the sofa in the bedroom or swiping in the bathroom I said swiping you'll never be without it switch your home to 99.9% reliable sky broadband availability subject to location requires sky broadband ultra fast for more info see sky.ie forward slash speeds 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base Barrett, can you break down why the cost of living has gone up so high and so quickly over recent weeks and months? Now, we know the war in Ukraine has a role to play in all this, but but what other factors are affecting inflation right now? Yeah, so inflation was rising before the war in Ukraine. We'd seen it start to tick up last year. Part of that was, I suppose, about supply chains kind of snapping back into action after the lockdowns of of the pandemic and the fact that people's, you know, had, had changed the types of uh, services and goods that they were consuming. So there's a big 
jump up in demand for products, goods, rather than necessarily services, given, you know, many places providing services like pubs, restaurants, they were all closed down for a while. So you had that shift uh, towards goods, which kind of seemed to snag up supply lines. They were readjusting. And so there was an impact on prices there. And then then we'd start to see as people, you know, people move back to work, back to their usual patterns of activity, demand for fuel and energy rising again. And then we had the crisis in Ukraine. So that's kind of compounded things, but it wasn't things, things were, and prices were increasing before then. And that then has the potential to feed through. And we are starting to see that feed through into to food as well. And that's just given the relationship between uh, energy prices and, and, and food. It, there, there's an in, the interlinkage there, which is going to mean that the spillover and spillover into the wider economy. So again, it's not, it's not just about Ukraine, but Ukraine has definitely amplified and, and worsened the pace of the, the, the price increases. So here in Ireland, how has the Irish government been dealing with these rising energy prices so far? And do you think they're taking the right approach? Yeah, so been, the government have been taking, I suppose, a, a, a huge variety of measures. So they've they've done some direct, I suppose, cash payments to households. So everyone, remember, get, would have got their electricity credit, you know, the same for each household. And that was deducted off their electricity bill. So that was one element of how the government provided support. Another element was that it, it kind of accelerated some of the, the changes to welfare payments that were announced last budget. So they brought forward some of the increases. They cut public transport fares, but then they've also cut uh, indirect taxes on, on fuels. And so there was a temporary cut in, in the rate of VAT that applied to gas and electricity and then also to, to excise duties on, on fuel. And so there's a real mixture of measures there. One of the things I think we, we point out in the report is that providing the support to households through cuts to indirect taxes on, on, on fuels is not a particularly well-targeted way of, of giving that support. So again, we know that the households who've been most adversely affected by the price increases are lower income households, older households, uh, and those households living in rural areas, simply because you know they spend more of their, their income on those types of goods. But by cutting taxes on indirect fuels, what you actually do is you, you give most support in, in cash and so cost terms to the households who spend most on those products, which again tends to be actually higher income households uh, um, because they tend to have larger houses that cost more to heat. They tend to drive more or have multiple cars. Um, and, and so from that point of view, those kind of tax measures haven't been particularly well targeted. And also they have, a, I suppose, an additional disadvantage, which is that they blunt the incentive that the economy as a whole has for people to, 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 move, to, to shift away from fossil fuels and to, to make investments in energy saving behavior and technology. And, and so again, there, there's... I suppose that 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 element that that you know if we want those who can afford to switch to do so cutting indirect taxes on fossil fuels kind of blunts that incentive and 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 means that the support isn't necessarily provided to those who've been worst affected. Trisha, the government has said that cost of living measures will feature prominently in the upcoming budget 2023 in October. Surely for many people, there just isn't time to wait until that next budget to get some relief. What does St. Vincent de Paul think needs to be done right now? I suppose there's there's a window of opportunity now to, to get the supports and really think about what is the most comprehensive, what is the most sustainable way to support people on the lowest incomes. The ESRI report was really clear that broad-based measures like cuts to VAT and indirect taxes are not the best use of resources. Uh, We know from their research, from our experience, inflation is hitting people on lowest incomes hardest. So we need to ensure that the supports provided are targeted towards those who need it most. Um, I think between now and the budget, 
the suggestion from the ESRI around a Christmas bonus type payment being paid uh, earlier could really help people. But I suppose from our point of view, it's really about getting the package of supports right in this budget. And that means investing in our core social welfare rates, increasing them ahead of projected inflation so that people have some security for next year as well, because there is so much uncertainty there. We also want to see the fuel allowance extended to more people that need it because it's a very means tested form of support. It's a really important form of support, but it is very tight in terms of criteria. So expanding it to people in receipt of the working family payment would really help those households who are working and struggling, which we're seeing come into our services as well. And I suppose again, it's making investments in services as well that reduce those out-of-pocket expenses. The next big pressure point for families will be back to school time. We're already getting requests from families who are being asked to get the books and things like that. From our point of view, investing in genuinely free primary and secondary education is a no-brainer in terms of what the government can do. That would not only take immense pressure off parents, but it's also ensuring that children are able to participate in their education on the same footing as their more advantaged peers, because it's such a barrier to learning if you are going to school and you don't have the right materials to learn, if you're not able to go on school tours and things like that, that has a real impact on children. So that's such a key investment that that government could be making and would make such a difference as well. But I suppose between now and and the October budget, there's also things that the energy regulator can do to ease the burden on people. One thing that we have been advocating for is that uh, suppliers would be mandated to put all of their customers new and existing on the best tariff that is available because we're often told that you need to switch in order to get the best value. But for people on low incomes, there's a whole range of barriers to switching in terms of if you already have debt on your account, if you're a prepay meter customer, or if your fuel allowance payment is attached to your bill, it makes it more difficult to switch. But by putting those uh, customers on the best tariff that is available to new customers, you could overcome some of that. So that's something that we would like to see introduced as well. But I think with October, you know, usually budget measures don't take effect until January of next year. They're going to have to take effect uh, immediately from October. We we can't, we certainly, whatever about waiting to October, we can't wait till January 2023. Barra, has Ireland dealt with these kinds of energy crises before and how did we get through them? Yeah, so we have seen previously in, in, in Ireland and around the world big fluctuations in energy prices. So maybe the most notable example is in the 1970s, the early 1970s, the, the oil crisis then. And, and you know, one of the ways that Ireland responded uh, around that time was by maybe trying to find domestic uh, sources of fossil fuels to substitute towards. And so there is a uptick in uh, the use of peat. Of course, that, that we kind of now realise that that has also some uh, implications and impact on, on achieving our greenhouse gas emissions targets and also public health. So that's one of the things that's been in, in the news recently. So that's not necessarily a, a guide to what we might, how we might approach this one, but rather the way forward, particularly in the medium to longer run, seems to be more about pushing towards renewable energy resources and, and moving away from fossil fuels entirely rather than substituting between different types of fossil fuels. When do you think the inflation and the rising costs will stop? I mean, how high can prices really go? 
So yeah, that that that's one on which it's really hard to know. I mean, it, it, it does depend on ultimately political factors, probably, and also how I suppose how how aggressive central banks are in in, in lifting interest rates um, for something where the where the, the source of inflation is is more about fossil fuels, and we're kind of importing that. It, you know, there's not going to be much of an impact on the price of fossil fuels by interest rates rising so you know there, there's only so much that central banks can do there so it really then does kind of come down to well what happens to the conflict in ukraine what happens to global demand if we have a global recession it will you know maybe dampen the demand for fossil fuels a bit but then people's incomes and jobs are likely to take a hit so it, it really is hard to see and even though maybe people associate economists a lot with forecasts, it's something that I think we're not particularly fond of doing, and for for good reasons that you know we can't foresee the future, and and a lot of these things are fundamentally just down to political factors. This is a bit of a forecast question as well, but there was research carried out last month by Permanent TSB into the cost of living, and it found that nearly half of younger people were still optimistic about. the possibilities of earning more money in a year's time. And this compared to just a quarter of people feeling this way overall. Why do you think younger people are more hopeful that we'll emerge quickly from this? So that might, and I suspect is probably down to the fact that, you know, we typically see earnings growth at its peak when we're in our 20s and 30s. So if if you look at kind of the, the, the life cycle profile of earnings, it tends to be people see very rapid pay increases, even on average, not for everyone, but on average over their late 20s and 30s. And that's really the steep part of the earnings profile. And that comes from, you know, people getting promoted early on to their jobs or finding a job that better suits them and, and, and pays better. So, so, you know, Young people, even though they might not be particularly optimistic about the future generally, it, it's reasonable that many young people might expect to see their own earnings increase because they're at kind of the, the that accelerated part of advancement in, in their careers. But then this kind of goes back to research I think we published about a year ago that actually if you look across generations, younger adults are not doing as well as you might expect. So previously we would have seen that each successive generation um, would be have higher earnings at say age 30 than the last but that's not necessarily true uh, at, at the moment and and you know that, that that's that's a cause for concern maybe for policymakers and and now that the bounce back in labor market and just how strong that's been maybe glosses over that or maybe maybe it's a cause to be hopeful that that, that the labor market has actually now recovered for younger adults in a way that it it hadn't and hadn't after the financial crisis you know, maybe maybe there is something there that that young people are genuinely uh, uh, hopeful about and seeing and experiencing. In which case, that would be great because they really have had a hard time over the last few years, and up until the pandemic and even during the pandemic, they were really being adversely impacted in the labour market. So they're, they're due a good run at this stage. Baron Tree, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Zerka. That's all for today. Thanks to our guests, Barra Rontree and Patricia Keelthy. This episode of In the News was produced by Jennifer Ryan. We'll be back on Wednesday.